To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome everyone to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know that song. You know this voice. It's your boy, Rook. And joining me, as always, is the man who I just can't do the show without. It's Mr. Don Moore. Hello. And joining us today, once again, I'm super excited for this one. Everybody say hello to Lindsay and Jail of Onishi Press. Hello. Hey, everyone. We're so excited to be here. We always have so much fun on this show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hey, guys, this is like... When Don sent me the email about this project, I barely read the whole thing, and I was already going, yes, now, yes. <laughs> right up your alley, I guess, huh? It is. Uh, for those of you guys that are wondering, we're talking about Children of Gaia, and you guys are doing something real special with this. Tell us what's happening here. Well, this is going to be the first ever role-playing game that we've released as Oneshi Press. And it's part of our Children of Gaia series, which is an epic sci-fi fantasy universe um, that we've been telling stories in, in illustrated novels and comics. And we have so many things in the works. Um, And we're really interested in this series, especially in letting people immerse themselves in it completely. So the role-playing game is a simple and easy way to really get into the worlds of the story. So I'll let JL talk a little bit more about it. Uh, Children of Guy is very much his baby, so. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of times when people think about, like, role-playing games, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, like, D&D, and you have to, like, read, like, 15 books and, like, watch, like, a game and then play, like, 12 games before you even know how to play, you know what I mean? And that's awesome. I love that. But what we wanted to do is just make a short one-off RPG that, you know, you can play with people that have never even played a game before. And, you know, whatever, just invite your friends online and just play a quick game while you're just hanging out and talking. And the purpose of that is because we really want to have a bunch of different kinds of ways to explore Children of Gaia. Now, I've been working on Children of Gaia with Chris Cavelli since the mid 90s. And there is no form in which I haven't immersed myself in it. And it's been a guide in my life. Um, Just having this story constantly developing, constantly coming to us, sometimes in dreams, some like, you know, just all the ways. Right. And it's just so um, enriching that I want to be able to share that with people in as many different ways as possible and realize that like, just like real life, you know, in real life, there's different ways that you interact. There's Facebook, Twitter, hanging out at a bar, whatever, you know, going to the movies together, going to the park together. There's so many different ways to explore real life that I feel like a very complete fiction like this, that is so immersive. I want to share it in as many ways as possible, you know? So that's why we're really excited about this campaign. We have a coloring book, we have a tabletop RPG, we have 
uh, a comic book. We have lore books that are written by characters in the story, like actually written from their perspective and illustrated by characters in the story. Um, and music and those two lore books are written from very, very opposite characters from very different parts of the story, uh, very different perspectives on what's going on. And it's just each project gets just gets me, you know, and it's like really exciting and and, you know, much to my joy, uh, that's the feedback we get from other people is that each time they get to experience Children of Gaia from a different angle, it's like deeper and more meaningful and they're more hooked on it and they just want more. And we've gotten a lot of feedback like that. And it's just so exciting, you know. Yeah, it's, you know, looking at your work on Children of Gaia is you've done so much to create a vast world for people to explore in the comic books. It, it, it's, it lends itself so easily to tabletop role-playing and just like looking over the material again, I'm just like, Oh man, this is going to be so amazing. (laughs) Uh, You know, um, everybody who listens to the show knows that I'm a huge tabletop nerd. Um, You know, I, I did a, I, I just finished up six years of one campaign with the same Amazing. people. Oh, uh, uh, it's, and we're still going. We, we, yeah. we started, we started another, um, same oh. world, same characters, so um, cool. all their decisions have formed and, and, and created this world for them. Um, so it's I, like a sequel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's 30 years later in the same world for them. Oh, awesome. I love uh, that. It's, it's fantastic. So, and, you know, I have to ask this because of everything that's happened in the tabletop space right now. Were you nervous about anything with what was happening with the OGL stuff? Or are you guys totally fine? And was this not an issue while creating, uh, while getting ready to launch this campaign? We're so indie and niche that we just kind of all that stuff blows past us it it doesn't really involve us it doesn't affect us it's kind of just like i mean you know the things like the social philosophical philosophical and political conversations we're always you know trying to be very sure where we stand on things but in terms of what we're creating i mean we aim to create things that are unlike anything else that has been created, but with ingredients that are familiar, you know, like um, maybe like a a good chef being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take these ingredients that we know you like and we know are familiar to you, but just do it a little different and like mix them differently, put them in at different times, just cook it a little differently, you know. Um, And so when there's a big shakeup in something that's tangentially lateral to what we're focused on it's kind of just like oh that's interesting look what's happening over there you know but it's not what's happening over here you know (laughs) um so yeah i guess the short answer is we're not really worried we we tend to not worry about what's going on yeah and and since um role-playing games is not what we've been doing as a company it's like we're we're so far removed from sort of the the larger politics and and social issues um, that I don't know it hasn't it hasn't ruffled our feathers too much. <laughs> and you know, oh sorry. No, I'm just I'm really happy to hear that because 
being in that space myself, um, seeing all that happening, watching all these third party publishers that were just, I mean, panicked for, for, for their livelihoods, you know, um, it was, it was, it was scary there for a while. And, you know, we're, we're kind of on good footing now, but I don't trust it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to like rights and I mean, you know, the reason why they say, right, like, um, possession is, you know, nine tenths of the law is because it is that complicated that if you go into like trying to read about like what is ip what is like property rights what is ownership it's like so complex because so many people have been trying to exploit it and defend it and you know for so many years that there's so many different precedents for the way things can go down that it's like caked caked up you know (laughs) layers and layers and layers like Maybe we need a geologist in here at this point, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's great to hear that none of that affected you guys in any way, shape, or form, uh, because I I was worried a little bit about if that had any effect. So to hear to hear you guys say, nope, nothing. I'm it's it's thrilling for me. It really is because I I am. I am exploring other games, uh, other systems. Yours is going to definitely get added. Uh, I, I, I'm really looking forward to, to getting a chance to run this uh, campaign with my guys. Uh, you we know. definitely have our sights set on larger and more in-depth campaigns in the future, too. And this is a, a way for us to sort of test the basics of the building experience and the testing experience and see, you know, if we do something simple, that takes place in this world and sort of gets people's feet wet, then yep. maybe next time we'll, you know, make it a little bit more complex and maybe then we'll make another game. And soon we're hoping that we'll sort of have like a raft of smaller games that can work into a larger and more immersive and like much longer campaign play. Game. I think okay. like on that, to counter that a little bit also for me, having these vignettes that tell the story from various you know perspectives is really fun um and i think it's a really cool way to get people into this larger world it's not about one character or even one group of characters or one specific plot thread it's about how all these different plot threads tie together in this great tapestry you know so having a short story is like whether it's a a comic or a novel or a game you know in this case it kind of plays like almost like a board game like you just play to this objective and then you're done and you either win or you lose you know either your friends win or you win you know um you, there's two teams you know and so for me i want to have as many different you know like a good board game has things about it that are very unique you know and like when you play this game versus that game, the rules are different. They're not all based on one rule system, you know, like, and a good board game, I feel like you should be able to just open it up and play it. You don't want to have to like figure it out for weeks before you yes. can play it with your friends, you know? Yeah. Um, so this is a game where I could just play it with you. And within the first round, you'll know how to play it. You'll play it with me. We'll be done in 20 minutes. We could play again, you know, two out of three or whatever we want, right? Um, and I want to do as many different little games like that as possible to really, you know, 
have this kind of tapestry before being like, okay, guys, now go play in the world as a big, epic, open TTRPG. Um, But I have had a few people write to us and be like, hey, you know, I really want to like write a D&D campaign that takes place in the Children of Gaia world. Is that okay? And I'm like, is that okay? Like, please tell me how it goes. If anyone on your team is illustrating those OCs, I want to see them, you know? Like, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. I love it, you know? Yeah. I, I have a question. I'm sorry, Rook. Go ahead. Um, when you're, you're doing this, have you built... I'm Forgive my ignorance on this. I'm just trying uh-huh. to see. Have you built this game on an existing system, or is this whole system completely unique to you? It's completely unique. So we were actually inspired a while back. We were um, we were doing a campaign in Dungeon World with some friends. Okay. Um, I think it was during the pandemic, and people's schedules were not lining up very well. So we had a few times where you know somebody didn't show up, and we were trying to decide should we play without them or not. And um, the game master was like, "Oh wait, hang on, I have some one-off games that I've been wanting to play." So we did one that I can't remember what it was called. But there was we- a few. We did one There's that was really heist. fun. It was there based in like... Antarctica. Oh, right, it, was, right. it was a wild experience. We played it in two shots, had a blast. And then we did Honey Heist, which is one where you, you, you're all bears and you're trying to go into an international honey convention and steal like the prized honey. <laughs> for your character. So like you could be like a panda or a polar bear or a grizzly bear. And then you have a role within the heist group to play. And you can play it in like two hours. And right. we were like, this is fun. Anyone could do it. And it you don't have to get super duper involved in the lore in the world to really have a blast playing it. And that gave us a lot of ideas for how we could build something similar to it that you don't have to be a lifelong gamer to understand the mechanics. Um, and you can get into it play a character, have a blast, and then, you know, go on your merry way and go back to it whenever you want. Yeah, and I think with that, like, I I love the idea of there being, like, a collection of them Mm -hmm. and, like, being able to be like, oh, which one do you want to play tonight? Oh, let's play this one and that one. Or, like, you know what I mean? So that's, like, definitely an aim there. And it, it also is a really good place to enter the Children of Gaia's larger story. Um, because the battle that's actually taking place that you're playing is one of the pivotal moments in the larger story. And we haven't yet actually written out that part of the story in any of our comics or any of our books. So rather than make a campaign where we're introducing that part of the story as a, say, a novel or a graphic novel, instead we're doing this story as a a tabletop game that you can play. And then there's a coloring book from that part of the world and there's a short comic that tells some of the backstory of like what went on before all of it. So you're getting a really fully immersive package, but it's still like you could just be browsing on Kickstarter and be looking for games and not know all of the lore behind this and think this looks like a lot of fun and it's something you can access. Yeah, that's the important part there is accessibility, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, games like D&D have a lot of accessibility issues <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We'll, just, we'll just call it that um you know with years Can't just hop in and play yeah no um 
you know, um, I'm, I'm actually hosting in April a whole day long of gaming. And one of the things we're doing is we're introducing some people to uh, tabletop gaming who have never played before. Oh, cool. And we're doing a couple different systems as well. Oh, and, I'd love to check that out. Oh, it's it's going to be fun. I've, I tapped... Uh, Two, two different people that I know that are wonderful DMs. Um, we've got around 10 people coming. It's 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 going to be an amazing day. And I don't even know how to play some of the stuff yet. So awesome. I'm, I'm going to be learning as well. I can't wait. Awesome. I, I love that idea because I'm, I'm one of those people that's always hung out with people who are gamers, you know, tabletop gamers. But I never managed to actually join a game until very recently. So I was coming into it with people who have been playing D&D for years and I was like, hi, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you explain it to me? And I, I found that coming in as someone new to gaming can be really intimidating. Mm -hmm. yes. And especially depending on the system that you're playing, sometimes there's like so much math or so much jargon or so much lore. And if you don't know what's going on and you're not in a situation where people are welcoming and really like willing to sit you down and explain it to you. And help you. It can yeah. be overwhelming. Yeah. And I actually have, I've gone into a few gaming circles and been too intimidated and left. And yeah. I, I love the idea. Like that's one reason that we wanted to let this be such a sort of accessible game for people. Like we want people to feel like they can come in and just have a blast. They don't have to know every last thing or, you know, how to do complex multiplication in their head <laughs> to be able to access this game. And actually, one of the really cool parts of it um, is that JL developed the mechanics and the scoring system and everything. And then our awesome friend, David Geringer, came in and offered to make us a digital interactive gameplay board. Oh. So even if, you know, if you don't have dice at home or, um, you know, you're a little overwhelmed by math or whatever, you can actually use this board and everyone who's playing from wherever they're at can all be accessing the board and basically you just hit some buttons instead of keeping score of everything you know on a piece of paper and trying to track what everyone's doing it's pretty rad and the cool thing is like on the the zine right on the back page it's like oh click here or scan the qr code you know um to get your board and you download it and then you upload it to the site so you have now your own private room and you invite your friends to that room so like you can invite 11 of your friends to come play with you and you could be playing while some other group of 12 people elsewhere in the world can be playing at the same time and not affect each other's game at all so it's it's pretty cool so uh, so you guys are are you guys basically hosting your own virtual tabletop now no we're doing it through um io card designer so oh. Yeah, basically we made the the board and you download it and then you just upload it to IO and you can just play with your friends in your nice. own private room. And you can even edit the board uh, however you want. And then if you like mess it up and you're like, oh no, I broke it, you can just re-upload it. There you go. <laughs> I've done that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I kind of want to go back to you designing the game. The reason I'm asking this, sure. uh, Rook and I were just talking about building a game. And, um, oh, nice. I mean, we're not, but Rook, oh. Rook has done in the past. <laughs> uh, and I, Rook, I'm not trying to bring up hurtful things, but, uh -oh. but <laughs> I was, 
the reason I'm bringing this up, uh, what Rook was talking about was Wizards of the Coast owns Dungeon and Dragons, and they were coming down on trying to monetize third party. Am I saying this right? Third party creators. Yeah. And um, I was just asking Rook, is it possible to make your own game? And Rook said he had done it. It was unpleasant to him. <laughs> yes. But, um, my question is, when you designed the game, um, how how did you go about it? What 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 made yours successful and Rook such a burning failure? <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> well, not hurtful at all. Uh, <laughs> I will agree. It, it's it was not a failure if you learned from it, right? Oh, there we go. It's just a chance to do it better next time and you know upgrade yourself. <laughs> Thank so, you. So you know, one thing I think here that is really key for me as someone who's been doing anthologies for years and has published many, many people. I know and swear by the first instinct for anyone going into comics, and I'm just using this as an analogy, is to write a 500 page comic and illustrate it all themselves and then figure out how to fund it, you know, and that is never going to work. Anyone that starts off in comics is like, this is my opus. This is my 500 page comic. I'm going to do it. Hi, they that's, get, that's me. That's what I did. <laughs> they get a page in, two pages in, and then are just like, I'm never doing comics again. You know, every time. Or you can, you know, listen to the advice of people that have experience in this and be like, let me see how I feel about doing eight pages. One eight page comic in this universe. By the time I'm done with that eight pager, I will know if this universe needs to be burnt down and rebuilt <laughs> or if this is the universe I want to be invested in for maybe another, you know, 16 pages. And then I have a 24 page floppy. And if that's awesome and I love the way it's going, then maybe I'll consider doing a whole series of floppies. But the idea of like being like, oh, I've never built a house before. I guess I should start with a mansion. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. like, no, if you've never built a house before, start with a lean-to, you know, like, right. start yeah. with a tent, you know, you know, maybe one that you got from, like, Walmart that's, like, uh, really easy to put up, you know? I could do better than Versailles. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know? That's so easy. Um, no and problem. with that, I think the same thing applies to any kind of creative endeavor, you know? Like, if you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to build a game, like, do a board game first. Do something real simple, real easy you know that you can play test a hundred times before you release it like we've been play testing the mag tower for like over a year now you know nice. and we worked out all the bugs and waffled on all the decisions and nitpicked and Fingers crossed, not you know like we've played it now the last you know dozen times we've played it we're just a blast and there was no nitpicking that needed to be done you know um i've seen a lot of campaigns where people are like oh this is my first time doing a game I'm going to put on Kickstarter and then I'm going to use that money to hire someone to make it or get it done. And then it's like, cool, now you have like a month to make this game and you have no time to play test it or work out the bugs. And then you're putting something out into the world that is unplayable. And I've backed a lot of games just because I love the art. And I'm like, I'll look at these cards, but I'm never going to figure out how to play this game. Like I've read this book 
that's like 30 pages long, like five times. And I have no idea what this game is about. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I do. I know exactly. What and you're it's just, about. it's really unfortunate. It's like, wow, you should have just put out an art book, but whatever. I have these cards. It's cool. I'll always know that I supported that person and I'll feel good about it. I always feel good about supporting creators, even if, you know, they shoot and miss and it's a little bit of a fail. I still feel good about supporting them because I know they're on a journey and that journey is important and failures are what lead to successes, right? So I'll never feel bad about supporting someone if they're on a journey. But it's like, you should have probably tested that before putting it out into the world, you know? <laughs> Test it with people advice before you play. just jump into it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. It's an interesting time to be doing what we're doing in the way that we're doing it because we've been watching and rewatching a lot of the Star Wars shows that have been coming out mm -hmm. lately. Like we just rewatched The Mandalorian because it's so good and we want to be so ready for the new season. But um, so what what Star Wars did was, you know, the main franchise came out, what, like almost 50 years ago now. It's been a long time. And everything that they have been trying to do since then, people have compared to the original three movies. Yeah. And, you know, everyone has very strong opinions about what that should look like and what it should be like. But now they're releasing, you know, small pieces of the larger universe that people can get into while they wait for the next big thing. And what we decided to do instead with Children of Gaia was to release the small pieces first and use them to build the larger picture. Um, so I, I kind of feel like when we started with that idea and started saying, okay, we're going to do this book, this book, these comics, then we're going to make a game. Sooner or later, we're going to release a deck of cards. Like people were kind of head scratching about it because I think that the tendency for most people who are really into sci-fi and fantasy is like JL was just saying to write the opus, you know, the 900 page first of the trilogy. Build the mansion. Gonna, you know, yeah. Build the mansion, right, then exactly. learn how to pitch a tent. <laughs> you know, like. Um, but the cool thing about Children of Gaia is it's this giant sci-fi fantasy universe that has been developed so deeply. But rather than trying to go for the opus, we're doing it in little pieces to see how they all fit together and what the most effective way that we can introduce the story to the world our world that we live in, I mean, is. Um, and I'm I'm really excited about this opportunity. Like, can we talk about the coloring book? Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. definitely. <laughs> that, I definitely need to talk about this. This is beautiful. Wait, before we go into the coloring book, can I just circle back to something? Yeah. You talked about how David Geringer helped me make the digital board book, uh, or digital board for oh, the game. Right. Yeah, game but development. Game development. David Geringer has been developing this amazing game that is now has like regular tournaments. It's so good. It's called John Kenjutsu. It's a card game. And the mechanics, you know, he and the rest of the people in Next Dark Studios developed together. And it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors. It's kind of like rock, paper, scissors, but like with ninjas and special techniques and special powers. And it's so cool. And he built a digital board for that. And that's how he had the experience of perfecting his digital board over the last few years to help us with ours. Yeah. So it's also a matter of like 
partnering with people that know what they're doing for the things that you know you don't know what you're doing about. You know, like, <laughs> I know about the plot, I know about, you know, playing games, I know about what I like about board games, but I didn't know about how to set up a digital board. And we've been working with David for a while now. He's done the theme songs for Tracy Queen, for Pack, for Mr. Guy. Oh my God, the Mr. Guy theme song is like my favorite song that has ever existed. I don't know if you've heard it, but it is so good. It's unreasonably good. Uh, and he's done now the um, the Great Nations anthem, or you know, I guess it's the the theme song for the Mag Tower, but it's really the Great Nations anthem, which is like this big, big um, collection of nations that work with other nations within Children of Gaia. So he did their anthem for this campaign and it's really fire. It's just so good. Um, and it's been cool working with yeah, uh, with David on this because his game, Junkinjutsu, is a card game and it can be played you know, on actual tabletop or uh, digitally. Um, so he was coming at it from a card game perspective and we were coming at it from more of a role-playing game perspective. So we were able to sort of combine a little bit of gameplay from both of those backgrounds so that you are, you know, you're playing a character in the world, but we're also making it a little more board gamey, card gamey. So it's a little bit of a faster play. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I think it works it's, really well. It's a really good combo. And I, I probably wouldn't have come up with that on my own and he just connected those dots and it was super cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, gaming, I, I, when I say this, I'm not a gamer at all, but it, it fascinates me. I always look at this as engineering. Um, mm. And if you ever watch, um, I, this is possibly a different animal. My wife watches that TV show, uh, Survivor. Mm. And um, I've seen it. And what fascinates me is how they have every contingency planned out you know, all the way to the end in different avenues you go on. And they change the game from time to time. And when I watch it, all I, all I see is the engineering behind it. Yeah. So when Rook and I were talking about building your own game, that's how I'm looking at it. It's from an engineer's perspective. I'm not an engineer at all, but <laughs> I have. But I see the, the nuts and bolts to it. So it fascinates me, everything you're talking about and how you build it into something else. Also, how, honestly, I've always seen you as open source. You create your own content, but you let other people come in and play in your sandbox, which to me oh, yeah. is, I think that's a secret of success. But that's, that's been JL's big plan for Children of Gaia specifically. Um, and it, it's really interesting, like, you know, I know you pretty well, so I'm just going to go ahead and speak for you. Um, <laughs> but he and his friend Chris, who co-developed Children of Gaia, literally started it by developing characters to play as with toys that they made when they were kids. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, they learned how to collaborate together on creative ideas really well. Um, and... I'm also a creative person, but I didn't have friends that I played with like that. And I came into collab collaborative creative projects as an adult being very nervous about the process and, you know, being very worried about putting myself out there and people not liking it or getting into arguments about how things are going to go. But I think because of that experience that he had when he was young with Chris, he has always been like, I would never have come up with the depth 
and breadth of this world if Chris wasn't there creating it with me. So JL has has sort of taken um, responsibility for the the magical elements and sort of the natural um, development of landscapes and so on and so forth because that's what he's really into. And Chris has taken much more of a role of um, like political intrigue and military machinations, which are things that JL's not as interested in. So when you put those two things together, you end up with this much more rich and diverse world that we're bringing into all of these stories. And so because that's how JL and Chris work together from the beginning, we've been able to just sort of keep doing that, like slowly drawing people in who have something that doesn't already exist within the creative group that's working on Children of Gaia. So now we have David, who's helping us with gaming stuff, but also working on the music, which makes the whole experience more immersive. Um, in the past, we've worked with Jack Shell, who's also a composer who made some music for this. We've been working with, I don't know, we have at least well over a dozen people that have created art in some way or another for the project at this point. And it just keeps going. And so this is, ooh, perfect segue into the coloring book. Um, yes. Uh, so I was going to say, speaking of the art and the the, 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 we, nature um, of it, the coloring book really gets it really shows off. Uh, I don't want to call these wolves because <laughs> these are beautiful and there's so much to color on this page. I, I'm assuming this is an actual page that we're looking at. Uh, yes. yes. And there's going to be a whole lot more. Uh, we talked to the artist about which ones were ready for people to see them. Um, so we or have the a, limited, a limited there, selection right Actually, now. the book is pretty much done. I mean, all the art is done. I just need to finish the layouts at this point. It is really the whole book beginning to end is just immaculate. Yeah. Immaculate so art. The like, artist, Shadow Wind, um, we came across her work, I think, through JL's live stream originally. But... JL really picked out her artwork because he specifically has been wanting to work with more artists who would be able to create some of the natural landscapes and flora and fauna from Children of Gaia. And she is an extremely talented like creature artist. Um, So we actually reached out to her a while ago and just said, hey, we're developing this thing. We love the way that you work. Would you ever want to team up in some way, you know, yet to be determined? And she was like, sure. So over the years, we figured out the right project and we're actually working on a completely different book with her and a group of people um, that she's developing a character for who will be doing a whole lot of wildlife imagery for this other book that's still in development. And then we started talking about doing this Mag Tower game that takes place in a specific section of the universe. And she said, hey, what if I did a coloring book of animals and plants from that part of the universe? And we were like, uh, yeah, please. <laughs> so now we have this amazing coloring book to work with for this campaign. Double you know, check it just, something before I say anything. We found that when you, when you invite people in, yeah. they will come up with things that you might have never thought of that are just so cool. <laughs> yeah. So one of the, um, one of the, like, definitions of Oneshi actually is a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. And the way I think about that, and from this, you know, lesson that I got early in my childhood, which might be very unique to me and to Chris, 
is that like the story he would have written would have been very different. The story I would have written would have been very different. And both of them would have been very flimsy without the tension and the push and pull of coming at it from two different angles. Yeah. And then as we have other writers come in, like Peter Lampasona, Lindsay G, um, you know, now we're getting tension from various angles and push and pull and ideas from various angles. And it's just becoming more and more sturdy and structurally sound as a foundation, right, to build upon um, in a way that one person could never possibly do. Like, yeah. you just, you can't convince me that one person can be as brilliant as a fourth of four people who really love each other and are collaborating together and really building something together. Like, it's not additive math, it's multiplicative. You know right, what I which mean? Which is one reason, like, Rook, you know, your game is now going on seven years. And you were saying earlier that it really is the result of multiple oh, yeah. people working together and developing their characters in the world. And that's, I think, one of the coolest things about tabletop role-playing games. I, I agree. It's it's collaborative storytelling at its <laughs> finest. Um, I I may have an idea... And somebody's like, oh, I think he's going to do. I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. Let me scribble that down. That was totally not the idea, but now it is. Yeah, yeah but now it exactly. is. <laughs> and I think that role playing games really like provide um, a medium where people don't feel like they're necessarily competing with each other when you're playing a game. Yeah, and yeah so, you're collaborating. Yeah, people really get to be creative in a non judgmental environment. And, um, that's really hard when you actually are like, you get a group of artists together and you're like, all right, let's make something. Sometimes it's just, there's, it feels like there's more on the line, you know, for people's creative voices to be heard when you come together specifically to create a thing. Um, but role-playing games are a really good example of how people can be creative together and it works. Doesn't have to, you know, doesn't have to be so difficult. Um, and it's something that we're really working on, especially with Children of Gaia, but also with most of everything that we do. Yeah, most of our projects, we, we tend to want to be as expansively collaborative as possible. Um, but Children of Gaia really lends itself to that. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of the tension between sort of the your part of the creation and Chris's, we also have a short comic by Chris Covelli as part of this campaign. Mm -hmm. Um this is, is this the first one that he's done as the main illustrator on? Yeah, yeah. we did um, the Ravati together, right. where we actually passed back the drawings back and forth and then got them to where we both liked how they were, um, which is pretty interesting. And, that, and at the end, he inked them and I colored them. Uh, so that was a really cool collaboration. But for this one, it was like, hey, why don't you just do one totally yourself? You know, I mean, he still hired a colorist and a letterer, but he did all the thumbnails and pencils and inking and even black and white shading uh, it himself. It's it's amazing. Yeah. yeah and it it um, it takes place in the same part of the universe as the game and the coloring book. Um, but it's sort of some of the deep backstory that sort of sets a lot of the other stories in motion. And he gets to work a lot with some of that political intrigue that um, comes into play much more like later in the story. But this is sort of a little peek into what got it all moving. In the first it's almost book. like a prologue or mm -hmm. like a, you know, um, 
sometimes at the beginning of movies, they'll have like the narrator tell you like what happened leading up to this. Mm. And then the movie starts, you know, it's kind of like that, except it's a really beautifully illustrated comic, you know, that's awesome. We we should probably do an actual like pitch of what Children of Gaia is about. Oh, yeah. You actually, we were talking about this earlier today and JL actually came up with a really good sort of. I did. Yeah, way <laughs> of explaining it that works in sure. our world. <laughs> Go me. Um, um, Jay, I was like, I did. I, I did. Uh, uh, oh, great. <laughs> I just wrote a lot of things. Now, if I can remember planet, it. You know? <laughs> I'm like, good. Something I did was good. Awesome. <laughs> it's, um, it's like if you had. Mm, try and pull it up. You're talking about the um, the the Google Doc I did earlier. Yes. Yeah. Let me just pull it up if you want. All right. I could paraphrase uh, it, but sure. It's right here. Or paraphrase. You can paraphrase, but, you know, if you want to read something. It's the World War II part, wherever that is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't see that from here. Okay, what he wrote was, <laughs> <clears throat> Children of Gaia can be described as the story of an imperial military with World War II era tech invading a more inclusive Middle Earth. So the story of Children of Gaia is very much a clash of cultures. You have one realm that has been, they're, they're quite advanced and globalized, but it's very much based on magic, respect for nature, um, like letting people kind of be themselves, do what they want, and letting people live their lives. And on the other hand, there's a realm that is much more like our world, um, in that there's, you know, more of a focus on militarism and conquest and industry and winning and what happens when these two worlds collide. So that's sort of the, the very basics, I would say. Yeah, that's it's a beautiful story, too. And, you know, for anybody who's looking for previous books, you've got them on the on your website as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we've got plenty up there. Um, and we're adding to it all the time. And we've got a lot of Children of Gaia books in the works right now. We've got quite a few irons in the fire and quite a few people, diff- like different people working on on different ones. You know, it's it's very exciting. Nice. Yeah. I got to ask about the dice. These oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Beautiful <laughs> dice. <laughs> Where did you find your dice maker? How did you so, guys... I actually just Google searched and found a whole bunch of different uh, Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts and Instagram accounts of dice makers. And I just went through them and went through them. And this one dice maker in particular, uh, Flutes Creations, a lot of the details of her dice, I was like, oh, these are so gorgeous and so intricate and feel so magical. They feel like relics. Yeah. You know? So I was just like, I, I gotta just reach out and I just, you know, wrote to her and I was like, Hey, um, I have a a story where these, you know, characters are trying to either defend or steal these mage stones. And I would love to have dice that are designed to look like the mage stones in the game that you're either trying to defend or steal. Um, and she was like, yeah, I can do that. So I showed her (laughs) some of my designs and, you know, actually, it was one of those things. It was like kind of like a a fever moment where I was sitting at my desk before even deciding to have dice made um, early on working in the game. And I just like saw the dice in my head and I wrote them down real quick. I drew them out on a 
I think I have it right here. I've always just Daniel's like... Daniel's a renaissance person. He's always like, what yeah. if I did this thing that I've never done before? You know what? Yeah, I'm going to sketch it. So unfortunately, <laughs> our audience won't be able to see this, but and probably neither will Don. That's right. I can. And yes, I there see... We go. Yeah. Oh, I see how the how that translated into yep. these beautiful dice that you have. Uh, it was just like a fever moment. It hit my brain, and I felt like a little like, oh crap! I can't do anything else until I draw this, or I'm gonna get sick. You know, like. <laughs> and I just drew it out as fast as I could, and then I was like, now what? What do I do with this? Oh man, I gotta get in touch with a dice maker. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Well, from someone who has several friends who have tried to make dice, I'm glad you found a dice maker instead of trying to do. Oh, no. Making yeah. dice is horrible your first couple times. <laughs> I, I've been through it with a couple of friends trying to get the balance and the and the coloring and uh, flutes, di flutes creations. It does, I mean, just the amazing. dice made yeah. for you were beautiful yes yeah. and then i went I, over to the page and oh yeah oh my god this is yeah, a high-end dice right? creator yeah oh seriously like really good stuff yeah um yeah. and it's all hand done you know like it's she's making the molds herself and pouring them and some of them are like multi-structural molds like she yeah. does the mold for the stone first and then puts that inside another where you have the mold for the the crowning and the corner bead and the uh, the pips, and then puts that inside another mold where you have the smooth outside, and it's like complex so and. For awesome. anyone listening yeah. at home, let's try to describe what's going on here. So the the dice that we had made are made to look they're they're more or less clear, and you can see inside the six sided die that there is a round red ball it's a magical orb that has been made to look Pundit. like the mage stones which are these magical relics which are the basis for the role-playing game that we made you're either trying to defend these mage stones from the invading army as an elven sorcerer or you are the invading army trying to defeat the elven sorcerers to take the mage stones so we thought what if those the mage stones themselves are such powerful relics that they are encased inside of you know, glass or in this case resin um, to keep them safe. So the dice themselves are pieces of the story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we really pieces. love to make um, real items from our stories. Uh, for example, this Tarmux cup that I'm holding that our viewers can't or the listeners can't see, but you can see it on our website. Um, it's very cool. It's a very cool <laughs> cup, but it's also, it's a literal item that if you're reading Tracy Queen or Pac or Mr. Guy, you'll see them drinking their Tarmux or hating on Tarmux or talking smack <laughs> about it or loving it or whatever. You know what I mean? And just the idea of taking these things from these stories that these characters are using and being able to use them yourself while you're immersed in these stories, it's just extra levels of immersion and i want to give people that feeling of like their world is our world you're also in their world we're basically you know? setting it up so that people can cosplay as our characters more easily just putting it out there in case anybody's interested yeah. hell yeah <laughs> 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 you cosplay as Dwayne. basically rock. get a gray sheet 
um, and have yourself wheeled around on some sort of platform, and you're good to go. <laughs> Insurance companies won't know what to do with you. Next convention, we're going to get a little little dolly, and I'm just going to cart you around the convention. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you had Tarmox in Dwayne when I was reading the book. I said, hey, yeah. there it is. Um, yeah. It's funny because you don't make a big deal about it. They're just there. What should it be like in real life? I, it was kind of neat. Um, I'm so glad you like that because I'm glad you noticed that too because yeah, we were like oh, jail, man, you stick jail it in really wanted me to insert our products like Tarmux and stuff into Dwayne and I was kind of resistant to it at I, first I was yeah. kind of like I don't know it's kind of, it feels kind of cheesy but now um, we've had comments from people who have read it that are like yes there's Tarmux in there and I love that we're we're building something with that well, we're building this sort of larger oneshi world <laughs> it makes it fun uh, people like things that you're rewarded for paying attention yeah but there's there's a fine line to it when i say this and i know people love this movie but that movie the goonies mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm quite a bit older than all of you guys i was in the navy when i saw that and all i saw was massive Product placement. Oh, yeah. You watch that oh, film, yeah. walking commercial. They have Domino's Pizza. They're all drinking Pepsi. You know, they must have 15 Pepsi cans in one scene. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's product placement palooza. And, you know, that was something, especially in the 80s, was happening. Uh, yours isn't like that. It's just, you could, I noticed it because we've spoken to you guys, and I remember we talked about the coffee and, you know, the bag was collectible. It was neat. But you just kind of mentioned it. It just kind of enriches the world because, you know, in the world there's certain certain items you have, like Coke and Xerox, that are just household names that everybody uses, not thinking it's a product. And that's how I took it. Yeah, but, uh, and it, and yeah, you're right. It is. It's a reward for people who are paying attention to what we're doing, and it really does. I think you know to put it in like really sort of gross marketing speak, it really does make people want to come back for the next thing that we put out because they want to see if their favorite stuff is going to be in there, yeah. and if it is, <laughs> awesome. You know, that's it's your reward. I mean, it's also like even when I'm as a writer, when I'm writing something, I'm like, oh, how can I work that in? It's a reward for me too. Mm-hmm. You know, like. It's not a mark like, oh, we could use that to to market this. Like that's a cool afterthought, but it's not the guiding thought. The uh, guiding for thought yourself. is I'm all about the Benjamins. Uh, <laughs> for me, it's like, oh, how can we connect these dots? How can we put in Easter eggs that, you know, make this feel more cohesive and more like, you know, what we're really doing is sharing inside jokes with you. Yeah. You know, and it's like an inside yeah. joke that we now have established with you as you're reading this. And it just feels like, like in a way where we're sharing something personal and, and intimate, you know, like the way you might have a friend that like when they say a certain thing, like you, you and they both know what it means. And everyone else looks at you like, what are you guys talking about? You know, yeah. and then you start cracking up, you know, right. like that's a good feeling. It's a great feeling <laughs> to be on the inside. Right. It's yeah. a great feeling. And we we're also trying to make sure that all of our readers are on the inside. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 It's it's a it's a great nod. It's a great uh, you know, little Easter egg to look for in, in you guys' work. And it, it I love it. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> and the fact that you don't even think about it as like a marketing tool. You're just like, 
I want to throw something fun in here. Right. <laughs> you know? And, then and it's like, fun. We have so much fun coming up with little. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Tom Ox is a, is a joke about a certain corporate coffee franchise who will go unnamed here, but we're making fun of it. So we get to also have fun, like coming up with ways to, you know, take the piss out of real world objects and ideas and companies and yeah, stuff and make it fun yeah, for it's ourselves. total satire, but it's also like our, so while we're doing a satire, we're making sure like these cups, they are BPA free, they're mm-hmm. reusable, they're biodegradable plastic, they are, you know, they're like top of the line, right? And our coffee is single source, direct trade, right from farmers, like at altitude and pollinated and fertilized by bats and bees that are super adverse to like, you know, standard agriculture chemicals, right? So like there is, this coffee is as gourmet as we could get, you know, and it's really good products, but they're also very tongue in cheek satire. So it's like, you get to have the fun and the quality. You know, now the the giant crossover event will eventually be when we figure out how to successfully get Tarmux coffee into the world of Children of Gaia. Right now, there's not any way to do it, but you never know what might happen. But I'll tell you, someone might be sitting in a Tarmux playing a Children of Gaia game or reading a Children of Gaia book. So there is actually a, a hierarchy to our stories connectivity. There is. Yes. So, like, for example, (laughs) Catfish is a cartoon character. So he's his rules are whatever works for the cartoon. Right. So anything can exist in his world, but he could never exist in Children of Gaia because Children of Gaia is a very serious sci fi fantasy and he would be breaking their rules, but they could exist in his world because his rules are whatever the heck they need to be. So it's, there's kind of like a directionality to how things can exist. Um, another example is like we have characters in Tracy Queen and Pack who love Children of Gaia and read Children of Gaia or make fun of it, you know, like, oh, what you reading, nerd, you know. And so, like, <laughs> there's the um, the directionality of of the the cake of universes, you know, in a way like Catfish being a cartoon is kind of a god. You know, he's got, like, god powers. He can do anything. In the Oneshi cosmology. Right. KF Catfish is god. Supreme. Absolutely <laughs> all right, supreme. Okay. Dale uh, thinks about all of this a lot I more than I do. I just, I, I'm it. like, this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> sure. No, but you also think about, like, intricacies of things, like your book that you're working on now for Children of Gaia, The Madam's Journal, is... So amazing and so cool, but it's also like the the messaging. Not there's not any soapboxy moments. None of it is like expository messaging. It's all just like putting a lot of pressure on me right now. I'm still no, writing it. No, no. I mean everything that <laughs> you talked about with it is just like wow. That's a really important inclusive and diverse angle to take on something really badass that most people just wouldn't even think of and it's freaking awesome you know like it's exciting and it's cool you know like you, thanks yeah should i give mm-hmm. any teaser spoiler well, information or the, do you madam's, wanna... the madam's journal is a children of gaia book um told from it's it's supposed to be 
the journal kept by one of the characters who um, is one of the movers and shakers in the Children of Guy universe. She's a brothel madam. Okay. And she's sort of telling the story of her life, how she came to be a very successful madam at a brothel um, while her world was being invaded and falling apart, more or less. Um, and she's also secretly one of the leaders of the resistance. And the rebellion. So she's actually a go-between for the resistance and the rebellion, which is just like because can you imagine so a place where there would be more intelligence freely exchanged than basically a frontier brothel? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. So. Perfect place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's gonna be a ways down the line. Um, yeah, I was just about to ask that. That's future project for. Yes. Future project. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, well, you guys mentioned you're doing a lot of different work with Children of Gaia right now. Um, how about other projects? Uh, you guys got a lot. I, 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 we we all know you guys have so many irons and fires that it's unreal. We have so well, many fires right now. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> we just um, opened our call for submissions for the Cohorts Anthology. So we're looking for eight pagers, um, you know, eight page comics that fit the theme of cohorts and companions, colleagues, co-conspirators, you know, it could be arch enemies being cohorts in a way, or it could be like literal two people being cohorts, or it could be like a team or, you know, we love to see what creative people will do with the theme to turn it on its head or look at it a different way, or maybe take it literally, or, you know, so when you put out like those one word themes, basically we we're really looking for how can we make um, a book that you know, dissects how broad that theme can be, you know, yeah. or how narrow it can be, or, you know what I mean? Um, so that's one thing that we have going on right now. Another thing is we're working on the next Catfish comic. Um, <laughs> and I'll take his name in vain. We're working <laughs> He's on... He's a wrathful god. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Um, we're working on, what, we have three Children of Gaia illustrated novels. That are all um, in different... Lore books, you know, all of them are being illustrated or written by characters in the story. So those mm -hmm. are big projects. You know, these are our 150 to 200 page long right. books with um, illustrations, through. fully illustrated. You know? um, but I think our next project after this one is actually going to be the next tale from Existentia, yeah. um, the collection that Dwayne was the first one in. It's it is not directly related to Dwayne, so it is not a continuation of that story, but it takes place in that same sort of bizarro universe. Bizarro universe, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to be live streaming readings from the most recent draft soon because I want to get uh, feedback from listeners in real time before I finalize the final draft. Um, so I won't give it all away, but I will tell you that the title is Monkey Maids. Um, it takes place in a city that is very akin to Chicago. There are two human roommates and 17 monkeys in a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's <Wow>. basic. <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy to hear this. You know, I, our friend Ryan Clater made me read that book. And I, <laughs> and I Ryan. you know, Rook and, and Ryan and myself were talking about a movie. And uh, we had different opinions on it. Ryan hadn't seen it. I had the DVD and I saw it once. Um, I didn't. I didn't want to watch it again, so I told Ryan I'd send it to him. Was it Goonies? 
Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It was um, Land of the Lost. Remember oh, okay. Um, I was a kid when that was on Saturday mornings. My brother and I watched yeah. that show religiously. Um, I love that show. Yeah, yeah. Well, how can you yeah. not? My daughter loved it. Um, and then Will Ferrell ruined it. Well, <laughs> yeah. I w when somebody told me they were making a movie, a bunch of us at work were really excited about it, and then later we found out it was a Will Ferrell movie, and I'm like, well, that's kind of destroyed it. Well, I found the movie for two bucks, and so I bought it. I watched it, and I always watch all the extras. That's why I love DVDs so much. It's audio commentary and you know extras. And I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, I was hoping to find out answers that I never got when I was 13 years old because, <laughs> you know, um, they were building up to something. After two seasons, it was over. And um, this one, it sort of did, you know, but um, Ryan hadn't seen it. And I said, look, I got the DVD. I will never watch that movie again. So it wasn't a biggie, you know, but Ryan felt obligated. He kept bringing up Dwayne. And I read a lot, and it, when I worked, where I worked at, it was, it was a facility that had 200 graphic artists working days and 200 graphic artists working nights. A lot of, a lot of proofreaders, a lot of different types. It was greatness. But I'd be reading, and somebody would come over. There was a retired school teacher that worked there as a um, proofreader, and she would always, oh, what are you reading? You know, I'm trying to read here. And then she would recommend books to me. I don't need people recommending books. Every time I go to the library, I see 75 books that I want to get to. <laughs> yeah. And um, this woman kept telling me about a series of books by a man named Tony Hillerman about the Navajo tribal police. And all I think, God, this sounds so stupid, you know. Um, but for two years, she kept coming over, bringing it up. If I read them, I had zero intention on reading any of those books. And then she came by another time, was talking about it, walked over to her cube, came back, and she had a memo pad, and she wrote down 20 titles. And she goes, well, I think I've got them all. They're not in order. This is before we had internet at work. And so I'm like, oh, if she went to this kind of trouble, I, I should read one. So. I went to the library. She didn't miss any, and they were in chronological order. Oh my! Wow, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So I I read the first book. I said, "All right, I'll read the first book just to get her off my case." I read them all, and since then he's written 25 books. I've read every one of them. I've <laughs> loved every one of them. Um, it it sounds dorky, but they're not. No, anyway, that's, that's, awesome. that's oh, that really interesting. That's my life. Um. You know, but everybody, I've got in my house, I've got about 120 books people gave to me to read. Uh, I'm having trouble getting through them. Do <laughs> so you understand that my, my predicament with Ryan, you know, and he was right. insistent. Like, okay, Ryan. So, you know, he sent it to me. So I'm going into it with this. And I thought, all right, I'll get the thing started. I, I didn't stop. I finished it. Um, I <laughs> haven't stopped thinking about that book since I read it. Um, yes, talked about it several times on the show. <laughs> I I did hear him talk about it once. Amazing. Ryan actually like was like, "Hey, have you listened to the latest episode?" and sent me the link. <laughs> yeah, um, like I said, I, and when I say this, it's not a slight to you, Lindsay, but I did not want to read that book. I, it irritated me when Ryan kept bringing this up. <laughs> I don't know. And um, and I thank him endlessly because 
that book really warmed and illuminated my life. Um, Oh it's oh, wow. a short read, but I and I when I was telling Rook in Dallas, I had a tear coming out of the side of my eye, you know, and I was trying to get them to read it. I turned into Ryan, but <laughs> <laughs> yes. so, awesome. so yeah, I was interested. I'm happy to know there's another another story coming up in it. I mean, I know it's not the continuation, but it, I like the world. Um, and the way you ended that was absolutely how you should have. It wasn't the ending I wanted but it was the ending that the story needed. And um, I, I take my hat off to it. And anybody listening, I can't stress, and I've said this before, I'll have it linked on, everything we talked about, we'll have linked on the blog so you can see it, and we'll have links to it. And uh, But everybody should read Dwayne. And- <laughs> Thank you so much. I, um, I sat on that story idea for a really long time before I finally did something with it. And I still, am nervous about the ending because I'm not certain like some people are gonna appreciate the ending and and feel the way that you did about it and others are not and I know that that's just how it has to be but you know you always want to do the best that you can to please everyone so I have I get nervous yet to hear anything but compliments about it oh yeah you're complaint about it it came from a part of you I mean and when you're you're when you're sharing a part of you it's hard for some people to do and not everybody's going to appreciate everything. Everybody, you know, everybody wants a certain kind of ending for everything. Right. And, um, but the ones that, the ones that last the longest that people always remember aren't, aren't, the aren't how you wanted it to be. It's how it needed to be. And, yeah. um, that's the ones that make you think. And, um, yeah, this one, like I said, I, I look forward to more. I'm glad you did it. And, um, I, I'm amazed that you guys, of all the things you're doing, everybody always has plans for all these things they want to do, but you guys, and as difficult as it must be, I imagine at times, it amazes me you're getting these things done, and with so many different people. Um, that, that's, that's something to say into itself. Um, continue on. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. It's that is that means a lot because wow. we both um, we both have so many ideas and it's so frustrating sometimes that we can't work on all of them all the time and get them all completed immediately. You know, <laughs> but we try very hard and we do. We pull in the right people to help us get these things done, and um, it still feels like it can't possibly happen fast enough. Well, the know? interesting thing there is, you know, Lindsay and I when we first met what was that, 10 years ago, over 10 11, years ago, 11, 11 years ago, a lot of these ideas we both already had. And some of these things, like her tales from Existencia, were already in the works. When I first was getting to know Lindsay, one of the things I loved the most was reading her short stories. Oh, yeah. And I read short story after short story, and I was tearing through them. And all these years later, we're like, I finally I, have the confidence. I have been to like them. Lindsay, we have to publish them. Lindsay, we have to publish them. Lindsay, we have for like years I've been saying it. And now we're starting and I'm like, yes, they're so good. But she's also revisiting them and rewriting them and writing new ones. But like the ones that I loved eleven years ago, she's making even better. And I'm so excited about that. You know, yeah. like it's so cool that like I get to read an even better like updated version of this story that i loved when we first met like 11 years ago you know so that's really cool um 
Yeah, I love watching you guys interact and talk about each other's projects and the projects you work on together. It, 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 it's very obvious talking to you guys so many times now. You create a culture that just you want to include people and you want to bring yeah. them in and and just you want to have fun. You know, it, it's it doesn't even seem like you guys want to make money half the time. You just want to have fun. <laughs> that I may mean, be our fatal to. flaw. <laughs> yeah, like we, we need to make money, but that's not our driving force. You know, like if we just were like, what can we do to make money? This would not be the industry we would enter. You know what I mean? Um, we need to make money to be able to keep doing it. We could like, probably make and sell self-stealing stem bolts on Deep Space Nine Space Station and make way more money. <laughs> that was the deep nerd joke. That, that is Many people joke. will not get it, but the ones who do will really get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <Yep. laughs> um, I'm taking it you're both Deep Space Nine fans. Uh, we're right. Star Trek fans in general. You know, we've watched all of Star Trek. Like, yeah, me too. Uh, I, I love DS9. I do too. That's a funny thing. I don't mean to get off a side note here, but no, it's great. People, people I work with in the 90s, I absolutely love Deep Space Nine, and I didn't think I would. Uh, that was absolutely my favorite Star Trek of shows. I've, you know, I've always loved them. Oh yeah. But people would always tell me, you know, well, they never go anywhere. It doesn't matter. The action came to them, and <laughs> you know, being on a ship. It's kind of fascinating seeing a, a an outpost where people show up, and you know even some characters from the next generation would show up at times. And um, I love that. Yeah, I the I think the pilot for D Space Nine is some of the greatest television I ever saw in my life. And um, I love the relationship with Captain Cisco, how his journey, how he started, how he went, the philosophies to it. I love the relationship with the son. I loved how everybody on the show, in some ways went completely against the convention of what they were supposed to be. Right. Um, I, I absolutely think it's the greatest. And there was one woman I worked with, a massive Star Trek person, one of us, but she she said years later after the show was gone, she said her and her friends were talking about their favorite episodes. And she said, I didn't realize, none of us realized how many Deep Space Nine's episodes are our favorites. You know, yeah. Coming into to being that people realize what the show was, um, it's still absolutely one of my favorites. You know, when it's on, I, I stop and watch it. Um, I, I love Captain Cisco. I just okay. think he is the greatest. We we rewatched it recently, and it just the pandemic. You know, it's like it hits <laughs> again. Too. It hits again from a different angle when you rewatch it. It's really interesting that people's greatest complaint is that they don't explore, they don't go anywhere, and like. Every single character is constantly on an exploration yes. and you can see it in their trajectory as characters. I mean, every episode is, a, is about a character exploring who they are. Yeah. And it's like, it's a very like internal exploration and there's explorations into politics, explorations into meanings of things. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just very, um, I mean, I guess some people are like, well, I just want to see them go punch someone, you know, like on another side of the galaxy. <laughs> and it's like, that's cool, you know, already? but like, that's not the only version of what Star Trek can well, be. Right. I think that the thing that Deep Space Nine does is like, whereas most Star Trek 
uh, series, you have them passing through different places and coming into contact with the political and social situations there. Deep Space Nine really stays in one place and really goes deep. Deeply explores It's like it. a world-building yeah. experience for not just the Federation, but what happens when you take the Federation out of its natural environment and make it stay somewhere for a while? What has to happen to those ideals and rules in order for that to work? Yeah. And yeah. I also just, just thought that- End and not break. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, curiosity, have you, uh, you guys watching the newer shows like Discovery? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we're caught up on Discovery. Uh, right yeah, now. I, think I think we're a something. little behind on Discovery. We were waiting till we could like rewatch it and binge watch it because like when it was when episodes are coming out, sometimes it's like real easy to get confused and mixed yeah. up. But um, yeah, Picard, we did the the watch of you know, and then the rewatch to binge watch the whole thing. And yeah, I really love Picard. I can only, I can never say that Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek because my love for Jean-Luc Picard runs too deep. <laughs> He's great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Picard, uh, honestly, for me, it was it's Cisco and then Picard. Yeah. I love Cisco. Um, friends. <laughs> just, <laughs> you, you may possibly be freed by not being, like, actually deeply romantically in love with any of the captains. I, I'm like, Picard, take me away. You know, I think I think I have one ick about Janeway, and it's that I can't stop picturing the fact that Janeway and Paris have slug babies somewhere out in the universe. Someday, you slug know. baby will show up on your doorstep. oh the slug babies yeah it's like i just can't get that out of my head every time i think about janeway i'm like her slug babies with tom paris they they made a joke about that even on like uh on lower decks i think oh yeah yeah they did i love lower decks oh that show is great that's Uh, like the popcorn of of star trek you know you know, so so many people don't like that show because they're like, oh, it's just like it it's not Star Trek. I'm like, yeah, dude, trust me, it's front of house and back of house at a restaurant. Oh, <laughs> totally yeah. is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what's going on in the kitchen. <laughs> it's like yeah. a running commentary on Star Trek, yeah. but like done in a fun, funny way. I you actually know? didn't like it when we first started watching it. And I think it was I think we started watching it right after finishing the first season of Discovery. And Discovery is so serious. It takes itself very seriously. And I just couldn't shift. The tones. segue was hard, yeah. Yeah. I needed some distance. But then when we rewatched it, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Discovery does take itself really seriously. But it also, I think, it moves Star Trek into a place where it's like you don't have the horny captain on all the time anymore. <laughs> you know. Are you calling Jean-Luc Picard horny? Excuse me. No, no, definitely I'm talking about uh Kirk. Yeah, I'm definitely talking about Kirk with that. We had a little little of that with Picard. Uh, you know, he was very stern and serious, uh, but we had a little bit of that, you know, with with Picard, more so with uh with Riker, I think. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I was like, well, Riker definitely handled that for him. <laughs> oh yeah. But I think the way they view relationships and discovery is so much more real and, mm-hmm. and honest. 
you know, it's really uh, go deep with it, yeah. yeah. Also, I, I, I love tardigrades, so they hooked me right away with that. You know, mycelia and tardigrades are like my <laughs> favorite things to think about. And I was That's just like, Does this what? Show have tardigrades? A show with mycelia, mycelia and tardigrades, Check. and there are major important plot points? I'm sold, you know? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much oh, yeah. every other show gets a thumbs down, if we're being honest. Yeah. No other show has that, right? <laughs> And that's like my only checklist. It's so simple. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I love it. Love it. Love it. All right. The Kickstarter. Yes. That, definitely. Um, go to the website. Go to Kickstarter. Where are we sending everybody? So all of our Kickstarters, we always have the same address for. It's kickstarter.oneshipress.com. But also on any of our websites, you can usually find a link to our latest Kickstarter. Like if you go to children-of-gaia.com, you'll yeah. be able to see all about Children of Gaia. The first page is a first-person storytelling about Children of Gaia. So there's storytelling right on the site, tons of art. Uh, there's a page called Stories um, right up there in the menu where you can read about all the things we've published, all the things we're working on, uh, things that we will be working on, mm -hmm. etc. And on oneshipress.com, we'll have a link right to the Kickstarter. Um, yeah, and you can find it through all of our social media as well. Everything's all interconnected. Um, and the Kickstarter for the Mag Tower role-playing game, which also includes the coloring book that we discussed and the short comic and the awesome dice, will be running uh, from February 16th until March 16th. So it's four weeks and done. So if you are listening to this before March 16th, 2023, you can get in on it. Yes, most definitely. All right. Um, everybody who's listening, if you like to draw, we're always looking for fake comic book covers to use to announce a new episode on the Facebook page in the Facebook group. I can never say that right. Anyway, uh, we're always looking for them. I always have people say, I don't know if you can like it. We've loved every one of them. Uh, I can always reformat whatever you've done into a cover. If you're any kind of musician, singer, performance artist, um, if you have an MP3, we'd like to play it on the music spotlight. We don't have one when we have a guest like tonight, but we usually do. People enjoy these. Uh, same thing. I don't know if you can like it. We love the few we've gotten. Uh, Rook gets upset that I keep playing the same artist over and over again, so please help a brother out. <laughs> and we also have a T-shirt. Actually, we have three T-shirts. Um, it's not to make us rich. <laughs> it's just to help us with the posting fees. It's on the sidebar of the blog under merchandise. Listen to the show, wear the shirt. Rook? Everybody check us out, bunchofdorks.com. Click on that Cyclops. But until next time, everybody. Read. More. Comics. You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click, click on, on the Cyclops. The Your dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.